0: Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacey Toth, best selling author and co creator of paleoparents.com, where we focus on real life solutions for families seeking health. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times
1: best selling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics.
0: I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Hello, listeners. Look at me making change already.
1: Oh, my gosh. That was like twice in a row. Oh, <laughs> uh, And you said it so enthusiastically. I'm Are so you... pumped. You really do sound energetic this week. I feel like I need to, like, raise my energy level to match
0: that's, it. That's okay, because usually when um, you're energetic and pumped, I have to be the the yin to your yang, you know? <laughs>
1: true. That's true. So it works really well if one of us is like, womp, womp. Too much <laughs> and the other one is grounded. Is that what we're saying?
0: Yeah, no, that's what we're, we're,
1: saying, saying, we're saying. We're totally saying that.
0: Can I tell you something? Please. I totally forgot to um, have this discussion with you. We as a family are reading a new book series that I really want to share with everybody because it's so fantastic that um, I want to encourage families to read it together. So we f- uh, found through my friend, our friend Heather and Brent of uh, that paleo couple, they used to be Virginia for hunter gathers. Um, they were listening to a Tim Ferris podcast with an author of a book series called the school for good and evil. And they were listening to the podcast and they were like, Stacey, this sounds like you would really like this book. So I looked into it and I listened to that podcast and I downloaded the audiobooks through our Audible membership. This is not a paid endorsement Um, (laughs) and am obsessed with these books. So I know everybody knows that I like Harry Potter and also, Sarah, that you like um, teenage dystopian Fantasies, you I am a hundred percent sure are going to love this book, and it's definitely okay to read with your oldest. I think I think she's
1: even, she's actually already read it. Oh my gosh, of so, course she has, but she didn't say, "Hey, mom, I think you would like that." This has, one she whole,
0: has she read the Has she read? So there's three books now. There's going to be six she, in the series, and he's got a contract for the entire movie set with Universal, just like um, Harry Potter did.
1: So I don't know because I cannot. She's a voracious reader. Did I yeah, I don't think I, I told know. you. She just finished the Lord of the Rings series in nine days. It took what? me 15 years <laughs> to get through two towers because of the running through the fields of Rohan <laughs> for like a hundred pages of just running through the fields. It took me 15 years to read that series. She finished it from uh, Fellowship of the Ring to the end of the Lord of the Ring in nine days days she was absolutely obsessed so um this is a kid who you know i can't she spends all of her allowance money on books now she has her own kindle um she i can't keep her in books so i've completely lost track of what what she's read um i never had a hope really but i do know that she read that one and i can't because she went she went through her harry potter phase and was very, very obsessed with Harry Potter, and I think she finished reading those books or sort of early third grade, so like a year and a half ago um i can't I can't remember how much she liked or not, but I'm pretty sure it's on her bookshelf, so I might go i don't know if she's got like the first couple or if she just had the first one. I'm gonna go figure
0: that out so it is for listeners who don't know it is a um a school based on fairy tales and um, the characters are all in school to learn to be good or evil so that they can go and have successful fairy tales. And there are two characters, two main characters and they're females, which hello, two main female characters. Amazing. Right. And then um, the, the one is in each school. And so uh, it travel, it like follows their, their journey and, what is super crazy awesome is um, it becomes like Hunger Games. And so it's like this really cool crossover of all of my favorite um, teenage uh, obsessions. So, so this I just, is like, a complete aside.
1: Yeah. yeah. But so when my daughter finished reading The Little of the Rings, the first thing she said is, I need to read a book about girls now. And then the next thing she did was she asked if she could read the hunger games. And I'm having this whole like existential crisis as a parent about whether or not mm.
0: that's appropriate for a 10 year old to read. So everybody has to make their own parenting decisions, but our philosophy has always been, as long as it's not like an X read it, you have to be 17 to buy it. Um, that if the kids want to read it, they can read it. So Cole has read, um a lot of things that most parents wouldn't want an 11 year old reading but um it really encourages him to read because he feels like he's getting <laughs> like an advantage so for example Deadpool he he reads Deadpool and he read the entire Walking Dead comic book series um Deadpool's pretty explicit yeah Deadpool's pretty explicit as is Walking Dead is pretty violent um and the rule is that Matt has to read them first, and um, Matt's like, "Yeah, it's completely inappropriate, but it's not like anything that he wouldn't hear from his friends in middle school. So um, that's the choice that we made. But everybody has to has to make their own. If it's like on TV or something, completely different than if it's reading. Didn't I, you had the same dilemma with um, the Martian?
1: Yeah, and she's read it about 30 times now. I'm not exaggerating that. And it became, I had to teach her what some swear words meant, because it was a comprehension barrier for understanding that book. And she's, you know, thus far, she's never used them at school. um, But she now understands it when an adult says it, and she loves being in on it, like being in on understanding what that word means. Um, And, you know, she just... I mean I loved that book too. She uh, adores that book. Um and it's she almost like she'll she'll read it almost as like a cleansing between like cleanse the palate in between other books like she'll come back to it and read it again because it's just such an enjoyable story for her. Um but there were no children being violent towards other children in that book which is I think the hesitation I'm having about hunger games which is totally irrelevant to our listeners who are like when are we gonna talk about paleo food stuff but um I it's it's i'm i'm trying to distract her right now she's she's reading another couple of series and i suggested she read we've got the entire narnia series and i think she's only read the line the witch in the wardrobe Mm. so i'm like why don't you read that since you did tolkien in (laughs) nine days clearly you can handle a little c.s lewis
0: has she done um philip pullman's his dark material trilogy
1: I don't think so. That's we true. tried um there's been a few books that we've tried that she has found like just much too scary. Like she she put down Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children Interesting. after the first chapter. She did not want to keep go keep going. And I read the whole trilogy and I was like, yeah, no, so, it's not good for her.
0: So maybe she'll start Hunger Games and change your mind. Uh could could possibly be.
1: Yeah. Cuz it it does get pretty intense. She's she it's this is a big challenge with her because she reads um re- at a college level and um she's 10 and um she loves reading she reads for hours ev- every day it's i mean it's her happy place but to find books that challenge her reading level but that are an age appropriate topic it's getting sort of harder and harder to find ones without um sort of branching into I and mean, we've started sort of branching into like some of the classics and um, you know, we, uh, you know, getting help from teachers and help from librarians. Like it's, it's become a, a bigger challenge, but I mean, f- amazing challenge and I'm super proud of her. And like, it's, it's one of the most wonderful things to see uh, a young, you know, you know, child get that much joy out of reading like she she really would rather read than watch television and I'm just like go me I did something right I mean it was totally accidental and (laughs) I probably had nothing to do with it and I probably shouldn't take any credit but I mean if I can't take credit for that I mean what's the point so um yeah that was a whole aside we should What what are we talking about today Uh, we've had, um, a couple of questions lately. Actually, we've had this really huge collection of sort of gut health related questions lately. Um, and so much so that I think we've probably got three or four shows to sort of break it up into sort of manageable pieces. Um, but today I had a couple of questions about FODMAPs and, um, this is one of those, I think very often sort of misunderstood topics. Um, and so I thought it would be, be a good one to, to tackle today. It has nothing to do with um, children's literature whatsoever. <laughs> That's totally fine. Um, why don't I, let's see now, we've got two questions. Why don't we tackle these one at a time? And um, it may just be that we get um, our, our second question is mostly answered by the time we get there. So our first question is from Wendy. I've been diagnosed with hypothyroidism, fibromyalgia and fructose malabsorption. I was eating a FODMAP diet for a few years before starting paleo 14 months ago. I combined AIP and FODMAP eight months ago. And while I felt much better, I am not symptom-free and still often have stomach pain in the lower left abdomen. This pain seems to be more frequently lately. Have I missed something?
0: I'm I'm assuming you've got you've you've got an answer maybe I should read the next question because I'm gonna be pretty useless
1: <laughs> um I I you're never useless on this show Stacey um you're probably never useless anywhere
0: frankly oh now you're just sucking up a little bit
1: all right so I, I felt like maybe we should take a step backwards and just talk about what FOD maps are for a second because I think that we've got a little bit of myth busting to do around these. So FODMAPs are quite simply highly, highly fermentable, uh, short and medium chain carbohydrates. So FODMAPs actually stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. So these are typically very fructose rich, um, short chain carbohydrates or sugar alcohols. So the bacteria in our guts love them. And um, they're typically fairly inefficiently absorbed. So uh, fructose absorption from the GI tract has to be done through an active passport. So it has to be done through a receptor in the cell membranes. And when we eat a lot of fructose or a lot of you know FODMAP rich foods, um, or if we have you know gut health issues that are hindering those pathways. You know, we tend to have symptoms and actually everybody has symptoms typically when they eat a lot of FODMAP rich foods. I mean, that's where the limerick beans, beans, the musical fruit comes from. It comes from the FODMAPs in uh, beans and other dried what's, legumes.
0: What's that limerick?
1: Um I can't remember the rest. <laughs> mm hmm. But we could quickly wake up one of your boys and I'm pretty sure Oh
0: yeah, they could they could give you a few <laughs> limericks.
1: Oh, uh, I know now that Matt is gonna get one of them to say or all three of them to say it together and then paste that into the show, right about here.
0: Beans, beans, the musical float. The more you eat, the more you toot the more you toot, the better you feel. So you so eat your beans for every meal. He loves it when you give him production tips, by the way. That's <laughs> he told me. Oh my gosh.
1: So, um, what basically happens with, I mean, it happens to everyone if you consume very high FODMAP foods. Um, but it, it does a couple of things. So it decreases water absorption in the large intestine and it also causes a sort of blooming of the bacteria. So, um, it really feeds those bacteria in the large intestine pretty, uh, aggressively and they reproduce a little bit more quickly. So that can lead to the sort of more typical symptoms of bloating, gas, cramps, diarrhea, constipation, indigestion, and sometimes excessive belching. And it's from the excess volume, the excess gas production, and often the typical excess liquid in the stools. So what happens for people with FODMAP intolerance is due to Something, typically um, poor cellular health of the cells that that line the digestive tract, but it can also be gut dysbiosis. Um, And there may even be some people who just are genetically don't have as high an ability to um, transport fructose into the body. They're just more sensitive, and so they have these symptoms in a much more exaggerated way when they eat high FODMAP foods, and they um, can have these symptoms even consuming foods that most people wouldn't ever notice anything from. And so it's a problem because it can potentially lead to small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So if you think about these highly fermentable carbohydrates, feeding the bacteria in the large intestine, um, over time, that growth can get higher and higher up the digestive tract, especially when we're not breaking down these carbohydrates very well. So low FODMAP diets have been used in clinical trials for people with um, irritable bowel syndrome quite successfully as symptom management and they've been used as symptom management in small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And there's definitely at least a percentage of the cases of IBS that are actually attributable to SIBO. So that's where that overlap happens. And um, and so it, it basically, you know, a low FODMAP diet includes avoiding foods that are the highest sources of uh, fructose, um, very fructose rich um car- other carbohydrates like fructans and polyols which are sugar alcohols so um So the science, though, is really pointing towards a low FODMAP diet as being symptom management, symptom management for SIBO, symptom management for fructose malabsorption, and it doesn't actually correct the problem. And one of the reasons why it doesn't correct the problem is because the bacteria that love FODMAPs generally are actually very beneficial strains of bacteria in our digestive tract, and they help us break down a lot of different fiber types, including fodmaps like inulin fiber. And so we actually need those bacteria. They they do lots of good things for us. They help um, modulate the gut barrier, the immune system, neurotransmitter regulation, endocrine regulation. Right? They they they, they They're involved in skin health. Like They they do all kinds of amazing things that we really, really want them to do. And so we end up with an issue with these low FODMAP approaches for prolonged periods of time where it's low enough levels of fermentable fibers that we're not able to really support a healthy gut microbial community. And that can put a real damper on healing. So one of the things that... um, that I'm starting to see a lot of questions come up is from people who've been doing these low pharma approaches for months and months and months, and they're now stuck. So they just don't have the bacteria to be able to help digest those foods. Um, They're dealing with undergrowth, which has often very similar GI symptoms. Um, And then not being able to have that healthy gut uh, microbial community is hindering healing in other ways because we know that they're, you know, for example, absolutely essential for immune regulation, which of course is the whole goal with the autoimmune protocol. So generally what's becoming the paradigm now is to follow a low FODMAP diet for two to four weeks. Um, you know, that basically helps, um reduce a little bit of overgrowth of these bacterial strains. Um, But then to start working on other things that are important for gut health, we've talked about this on the show before, Um, but that is things like an anti-inflammatory paleo diet, lots of vegetables. So while in that low FODMAP time, focusing on a higher insoluble fiber vegetables like leafy greens, um, means lots and lots of seafood, broth, maybe an L-glutamine supplement. It means getting lots of sleep and it means avoiding exhaustive activity in the heat um, and avoiding medications like NSAIDs, like aspirin or Advil. And so we can look after gut health in these other ways while doing the slow FODMAP approach. And then it really becomes important to start very, very gradually adding these FODMAP foods back in. And you know, the general recommendation is to do it to tolerance. So maybe you start with a teaspoon of, you know, a food that you know was giving you symptoms before. And then if that works out one day, maybe the next day you try two teaspoons. And then if that works out the next day, you try three teaspoons. And if three teaspoons is too much, you go back down to two teaspoons. Um, And then you try after a couple of days. And the reason why that's done slowly is to help encourage the growth of the bacteria that we need to help digest these foods, um, but they tend to be slower growers. So we're trying to support this very diverse community with a whole foods approach. Um, and these are all of the bacteria that really help us. Um, they help liberate um, minerals f- from, you know, the, f- the fiber and the other sort of um, anti-nutrients and vegetables like oxalates and phytates and they they also help break down fiber, they help convert, for example, vitamin K into vitamin k two um, they're really really important important bacterial species to be to be supporting and so we can and we can do that at the same time as we're looking at more fermented foods for for inoculation of these species as well um, and when that's not going well, you know that's also where a functional medicine specialist needs to be looking at what's going on because Maybe there's a persistent infection. Maybe there's H. pylori or a parasite. Um, Maybe there's some, you know, kind of pathology of of the GI tract that needs to be dealt with in another way. Um, So if it's, this is the type of thing that we really need to be seeking out medical intervention when it gets complicated. Because these really prolonged periods of time on these it's not just low FODMAP, but it's other low fermentable um, fiber diets. So it happens with GAPs and SCD as well, is those diets are structured in such a way that it ends up being very hard to get enough fermentable fibers to support a healthy gut microbiome. And then that causes a whole, you know, it deals with overgrowth, at, at least the, the symptoms of overgrowth fairly well. And then you've got this whole other problem with undergrowth. So it it there's this sort of fine line between you know using these approaches as an intervention for a short period of time and then working on on reinoculating and supporting the growth of, of healthy bacteria. And as an aside with SIBO, because of the relationship between FODMAP intolerance and SIBO, um, it's the current thinking with SIBO experts now that Any dietary approach is just symptom management. And the only way to really deal with SIBO is to do, it doesn't have to be non-absorbable antibiotics like rifaximin, but some kind of antimicrobial treatment. So testing to see what kind of bacteria are overgrown and then choosing an antibiotic or a botanical um, because some botanicals are actually more effective Than antibiotics for some types of species that are overgrown, choosing that based on what the results are and then treating accordingly and retesting. So um, for anybody who's listening to the show and dealing with persistent GI symptoms, who sort of tried a low FODMAP diet and kind of felt like that was maybe what was going on, um, finding a healthcare provider um, who can guide you through testing, elimination, challenge, um, you know, helping to bring back up the gut microbiome, though, that's a really, really important thing, um, which I guess is my, like, opportunity to plug the Paleo Mom Consulting because I ha- um, have amazing, amazing consultants who have a lot of experience in this who can definitely help. Um, and we can put a link in the show notes for that um, if anyone listening does feel like they are really need to go to that one-on-one
0: <laughs> guidance uh, level. So I guess... One of the things that um, isn't clear to me is some of the things that um, are maps that don't necessarily fall into categories the way I heard you describe them. Um, So I know uh, garlic and onions, for example, being some of the most common irritants, I wouldn't have thought them to be that simple type of carbohydrate that falls into uh the other categories yeah, they're
1: they're actually very very high in fructans which are fructose rich fibers like inulin fiber interesting um, the more yeah you so know. i know it's so that's always one of the other challenges with fodmap intolerance is um you know with fructose um and free fructose there's pretty good data for for different foods, and there are definitely some some fruits that are just really high in free fructose that can be a problem. So like the classic examples are mangoes, but also apples, grapes, pears, and watermelon all have more than, the cutoff is called half a gram of free fructose per 100 gram serving um, in excess of free glucose. So it's sort of like more fructose than glucose. Um, Fructans are fructose-rich Fibers, lo- like longer chain carbohydrates, and um, and inulin is sort of like the classic example. Um, and so, th- fructans are what we find in onions and garlic, which are extremely high in fructans. Um, but also things like artichoke, um, sweet potatoes, um, fennel, butternut squash, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cabbage. Um, even some kind of melons, although it, it's, there's not as much beets, for example. So those fruits and vegetables sort of fall under that range. And then there's sugar alcohols is a whole separate category of FODMAPs. Um, and that's what we find in foods like cherries. We also find it in apples and watermelon. They kind of get a double whammy that way. Um, we find um, polyols in mushrooms and a lot of stone fruits. So, you know, nectarines, peaches, um, avocados. Um, so that's where we, we're getting polyols. Wait, wait. Polyols. What, what, what
0: was that last one? Avocados. I mean, it's still a little bit not right, but it's not what it was, Sarah. I – so um, –
1: I – I have the most muddled accent in the world. It's like not Canadian and not American. And it's just, it's just, it's lazy sounds coming out of my mouth, is what it is now. It's just, bleh. yeah. And I, every once in a while, yeah, definitely. I'll say, that's exactly what you sound like. That's all the exactly time. what it sounds like. I said something to my husband. I was like, I was waiting in the foyer and he looked at me like I had, he looked at me like I had just said Z. Um, it was like, I meant, and I said, I meant foyer. I meant foyer. I didn't. I didn't just say foyer. Sorry, um, but you know, it's I've lived in America for nearly twelve years now. It has to rub off on me at some point, right? I know. It? It's
0: still, it's still endearing when you see a little, a little pop of your, your
1: a little, old,
0: a little progress instead of progress. And, yeah. Good.
1: A little um, something. When we'll go home for the summer again, that'll. Refreshing my Canadian accent for a couple months. It'll be good. Um, So Catherine had a sort of related question, which was, what are the best resources for for following paleo and low FODMAP? I'm struggling big time on what the heck to eat. And when I look for answers, I can't seem to find a combo of the two diets, uh, one or only the other very frustrating. I'm hungry, which I totally,
0: totally get. Yeah. Um, I remember when we met Elena Haber in Chicago, she was doing so many different things like that and her foods were so restricted. I just was like, so sad. I'm like, I thought AIP was hard. I'm so sorry. It's true. <laughs>
1: um, so I made sure to put uh, lists of FODMAP containing foods in the paleo approach and the paleo approach cookbook and every recipe that's in the paleo approach cookbook is labeled if it has fodmaps with either a substitution or a this cannot be made low fodmap Um, and and that's because of you know the reason why i I did it that way is because of the number of people with autoimmune disease who have gi symptoms that can be helped with this sort of short-term intervention and then slow you know reintroduction of a FODMAP foods. Um, the other person in our community who has written extensively about uh, FODMAPs is Aglae Jacob. It's called Digestive Health with Real Food. Ah, yes. Um, and she she has one of the most thorough guides for paleo and low FODMAPs that, that I've ever seen. She's done a lot of research into them. Um, so she's a great, a great resource. Um, but I think that, you know, really once you're paleo, most of the most common food sources of FODMAPs are already eliminated. So, you know, wheat's gone, milk's gone, um, you know, you're left with this collection of, you know, fruits and vegetables that um, that are higher FODMAP. And it really boils down to um, uh, anything from the onion family. Um, most uh, cruciferous vegetables and, um, a lot of things like squash and, um, the worst being, you know, onion family, that's definitely the highest, the highest source. And so it becomes, you know, at that point, um, it's, it's playing with dose and really understanding what is the threshold for you to have symptoms And then keep in mind that um, if this is persistent and you're really still having symptoms when you're trying to reintroduce FODMAPs after a two- to four-week intervention, that it's time to uh, call in the experts and, and find a functional medicine, integrative medicine physician who can dig a little deeper and figure out exactly what's going on.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that was really interesting for me about FODMAPs was that It was one of the few conditions um, from a gut health perspective that one could actually potentially cure and move on from. It's uh, like you said, not something that's necessarily... Guaranteed, And certainly with the help of a practitioner, you're going to succeed more. But I know um, like Bill of Primal Palette, actually documented his kind of journey with recognizing that he had a leaky gut through irritation with VODMAPs and then how he was able to uh, prioritize balancing his um, friends in his gut, as you like to call them. Um, call them my little pets. His pets. He, A few he, trillion little pets. He fed his pets what they wanted to eat, and then um, ha- didn't you know re- resolve the issues. So I think that's uh, it's it's an interesting, nice testament to some of the things that we find out um, can be you know lifelong challenges or those kinds of things. It's it, as far as problems to have go. It's it's one of the ones that you know is it would be less of a concern on my list of things that I wouldn't want to hear.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that statement.
0: Um, You know, it really sort of boils down
1: to the the three pieces of the equation. So there's a digestive enzyme piece of the equation. So optimizing digestion comes from chewing, good meal hygiene, lower stress, um, and potentially helping out with some digestive uh, support supplements. Um, again, those are very detailed in the paleo approach. Um, then it comes from not having the right kind of bacteria around to help us. Uh, do you want say process, process those foods? Um, I and then like it it, when you say that, yeah, there you go. And then it comes from, you know, the cellular health of, of the cells that line, line the intestines and, and, them not being able to keep up with the transport of, of fructose into the body from what we're eating, and all of those things are helped with a you know nutrient dense anti-inflammatory diet that's rich in you know foods that are good for for gut health for the gut barrier and for the gut microbiome. They're all helped by reducing stress by you know increasing sleep. Um, you know it's and it's all pr- a You know, pretty responsive generally to changes in diet and and lifestyle to support digestion and and support a healthier gut. So it's compared to – yes, you're right. Compared to other things that can be going on in there, you know, fructose malabsorption, FODMAP sensitivity, it's it's definitely not the, the worst thing to struggle with. I mean I definitely had issues with FODMAPs when I started paleo and i wish i could say yeah i went on a low fodmap diet and it totally went away um i never went on a low fodmap diet it still it still went away i just kind of persevered i actually felt like the change to more seafood and more leafy greens by itself was enough for me to get rid of um my fodmap issues i also did um a glutamine supplementation for about 6 months And it was sort of like doing those other gut health things. I never actually had to do the elimination and reintroduction of FODMAPs. I just kind of persevered eating them. And then my symptoms just completely went away.
0: Awesome. Well, you got so many things today from uh, interesting... Children's sing, literature recommendations. Sing, sing songs from the children to, um, yeah, literature and uh, mic drops, a reading rainbow reference. I, I don't know what else you're looking for from us, but I feel like we delivered.
1: <laughs> we, definitely, <laughs> we definitely had a spectrum on this show, um, which, you know, is always good. Um, well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, I don't know if we'll be doing a another Gut Health show next week, but do know that we do have a lot of those questions. And we always like receiving questions from listeners. Um, there are forms to submit your questions on both of our websites. Um, and, of course, we always appreciate reviews on iTunes. So if you enjoy the show, please take a moment to let everyone know. And, again, thanks for listening. We'll
0: be back next week. Look okay, at you being fancy. Good job, Sarah. Great. Bye, everyone. Thanks, man.
1: Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual
0: websites or by donating through PayPal. Pod whereby stacy self-diagnosed with yet, a, yet another medical condition <laughs> is that the truth no totally, <laughs> i don't totally know that actually, um, i feel like every time we have a show i'm like that's totally me right? <laughs> um i am
1: totally blanking on the name of her first book stacy do you remember it
0: well her blog Ra- radical nutrition what- radica radica, right? mm-hmm.
1: yeah.
0: I don't radica know the nutrition yeah i don't know the name of the book i'm sorry
1: I'm just going to Google it right now. I was going to say,
0: should we Google it and call it a cut point?
1: We could just make people listen to,
0: <laughs> to your Google, we Google things.
1: <laughs> Let me Google that for you, Sarah. <laughs> um, I think one of us has to be a verified site for it to work, though. And I'm not. I need to reapply for it. I got when I the last time I applied for it, I got shut down by Facebook. Why? They said I wasn't